0: This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called A Political Perspective, and it's my pleasure as always to have on the phone Stuart Nassi, MP4 Napier. How are you going, Stuart? I'm uh, very well, thanks, Ken. How are you, mate? Well, I'm pretty good. Now, we've spoken about it before, but it's likely to be a very tough year ahead, economically speaking. Uh, currently, we're looking at inflation of around 6%, give or take a bit. How tough do you think it's going to be, and where do you think we're going to end up with inflation?
1: Well, that's a very interesting question. Obviously, there are a number of variables that we have absolutely no control over. You now, almost one at the moment is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yep. Uh, you know, it's a big oil-producing region, and... Um, you know, the, the market certainly reacted quickly with that and people went through the roof. Um, but, you know, Shanghai's closed down and that's mm. we have the largest port in the world, so that just continues with the disruption of supply chains. And so a lot of these things uh, will just flow through to us and there's very little we can do about it, actually. But, um, yeah, look, there it seems to be jobs. If you want a job, then there's a job out there for you. There's, you know, we have one of the lowest unemployment Rates in the OECD, in fact, one of the lowest we've had in this country for a, for a long time. So if people want to work, certainly work there. Um, you know, there's a lot of building activity going on up and down the country. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's 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 difficult to know what's going to happen over winter mm. because there is work, but inflation you know, will continue to sort of tick over as it is doing globally.
0: Yeah. Uh, Someone was telling me yesterday that they'd seen a report that uh, we're heading towards another brain drain. Up to 20,000 people expected to leave New Zealand and head for the likes of Australia and uh, other parts of the world where the wages are better. But that's just what's always been. But how do we stop that?
1: It's really difficult. I mean, my daughter, who's in her third year of university, and she's actually all her university, um, every single year has been COVID affected. She's really keen to get overseas when she's finished. She thinks she'll work for a year. But as you say, Kiwis have been doing this for a long time. So you, there is that sort of pent-up demand where Kiwis haven't done their standard OE, and a lot of them will, will head off to do that. I don't think you're going to get a brain drain of sort of mid-career professionals. You, you know, there, there may be a few who decide to head overseas, but, you know, this is still a very, very good country to bring up a family mm. and, um, and you know, have a, have a pretty good life, actually. Yeah. So it'll the ones heading overseas will be I the young ones. How do you stop it? But in some ways, I don't know if we want to stop no, it. And the reason I not. say that is, you know, a lot of these Kiwis who go overseas. Sure, there'll be a small portion who don't come back, but the majority will end up with experiences, both in business and life and careers, and and they'll come back and they'll be better for it. And you know, they they do bring a lot of experience and um, uh, but, but, and you know, often partners as well. Mm-hmm. But back to this country in a way that we do benefit. So it's just the, the process that's been going on. Know four years and uh, like I said I'm I'm all for it I am a little bit concerned that we will see a lot of people leave um, for their OE and that will just create further pressure on the labour market Um, but my concerns are are a little bit selfish not not concerns based on the fact that I think we're going to see a massive flight of people who will never come back I just think we will see the pent up demand of people who were going to go anyway but who have delayed
0: Someone told me you get 60 bucks an hour for picking kiwi fruit at the moment in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, I heard that as well. I saw that in the paper. Um, it just says how much money those guys must make. Yeah. The owners. But, you know, if you can pick kiwi fruit for 60 bucks, well, it's not a bad gig, really. But you know, I think you know, the, the minimum wage is the minimum wage. But, uh, you know, employers, a lot of employers these days are being forced to pay way above the minimum wage, even way above the living wage. Yeah. To, uh, to attract people, you know, the right people into the sort of jobs that we need to have here.
0: So there is good news around if you look for it.
1: Oh, is that so, mate?
0: There is good news around if you look for it.
1: Well, like I said, you know, you want a job in the Bay, um, there's, there's work there for you, whether it's, you know, highly skilled or, or unskilled. And on top of that, there's also plenty of educational opportunities, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of education, so, you know, my advice to anyone who's looking for a job or looking to make a change... Now's the time, no doubt about that.
0: Now, the Chinese, they're looking to station troops on the Solomon Islands. The Prime Minister is uh, gravely concerned. Is it a big worry?
1: Well, you know, the geopolitics of the region, well, actually geopolitics in the world at the moment are quite quite interesting. I'll use that word. You know, you've obviously got um, you know, Russia doing its thing. Uh, you've got China backing Russia, but not in a military way, but in a, uh, in a sort of a philosophical way. Um, You've got America, who is obviously backing um, uh, the Ukrainians, as as, is, of course, the rest of NATO, in fact, the majority of the world. Um, But you've also got China seeking influence in other fears. And, you know, I read an interesting article that said 30 years ago, the Chinese and the Russian economies were the same size. Now the Chinese economy is 10 times the size of the Russian economy. And the Chinese are smart. I mean, they know that you you don't extract influence through guns and tanks, uh, you extract influence through through trade and commerce, and I think they have been uh, very successful at um, uh, at forming alliances based on the economic benefit, as opposed to as mentioned, guns and tanks. Should we be concerned? Um, you know, let's see what comes out of this. There was a leaked document. There was a hell of a lot more to come to mm. go before anything like that is signed at all. So it's very, very early days, and like I said, it was yeah. it was leaked. It wasn't the it wasn't something that has been signed up to. No. But you know, we always are aware of what's going on in our backyard. As we need to be.
0: Yeah. Now you say an economic alliance, but also a very strategic alliance.
1: Very much so. Yeah. No. Very much so. And you know, if you read, if you believe what was read, and again, it's very early days. My understanding is it had to be ratified by the Solomon Go- Islands government, etc. But you know, it was perhaps going to allow Chinese to. No station mm. troops there, I think. But but again, um, a lot of water to go under the bridge before that actually happened. And um, strategic, but, but the Chinese build their alliances based on commerce. I mean, that's the the overall. But there's always, you know, with every alliance, there's always some form of underlying... Um,
0: yes, indeed. ...objective.
1: Yep. But no, we, we, we do need to be aware. I mean, New Zealand and Australia do play a very active part. In the Pacific, obviously. But, you know, we haven't got the checkbook the size of the Chinese one. Um, but having said that, you know, I think our reputations are very, very solid in the
0: Pacific. I'd like to think they are anyway. Now, a few weeks back we spoke about forestry, and there's a bit of a stash going on with uh, the government, yourself and uh, taitokoro over there wishes to use their land for permanent carbon forestry uh, purposes. And I know you're not a fan of that. Uh, in the main, but what is wrong with them saying we're going to use our land and it's our land? Why, who are you to tell us what to do? Have they got a point or not?
1: Well, um, I'm having discussions with all stakeholder groups at the moment, and it's about right tree, right place. And there are a number of reasons why I don't want to see radio use as permanent forestry. I'm very, very keen to see native uses as permanent forestry. And first and foremost, it's a conservation ecological argument. Now, radiata has a lifespan of about 100 years. If you start planting 100,000 hectares of radiata in 100 years' time, you're going to be left with a conservation and ecological Mm. disaster. So all we would be doing is transferring one problem, which is how do we sequester carbon out of our economy, uh, with another problem is how do we deal with 100,000 hectares of of mature radiata that is going to end up in our waterways, on our beaches. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really do not believe that that is the best way to do things. There are a number of things we've got to do. We've got to put forward a viable value proposition for planting um, natives, and I think mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're a long way there. And uh, for example, you know, how much carbon does Manuka and cannae yeah. Quite a lot, apparently, and on good sites, almost as much as radiata, but it lasts a hell of a lot longer, and it's a fantastic nursery crop. for natives coming through. So, you know, my vision, as you see, that with, with Manuka Kanuka, certainly some of the difficult territories, um, and then, you know, you you watch what happens, and uh, it does happen. I mean, it takes time. We're talking yeah. about, you know, two or three hundred year vision for this, but, but you plant radiata and you end up in trouble. I, look, I, knowing what I know, I think there's a little bit of mischief going on here, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, but, you know, we're not telling people what they can and can't do um, at this point in time, what we're doing is consulting. So, you know, to to say that we're uh, we're going to force people to do certain things, I mean, we do that anyway yeah. through resource management and through the Overseas Investment Office. So there's a number of pieces of legislation out there that requires people either to do things or does not allow them to do other things.
0: Does, um, does that bit of not, legislation uh, exist at the moment where you can say to them, no, you can't plant those trees, or are you going to have to put that in?
1: No, what we would do is say, if it's, um, if you're planting trees in the permanent forest category, they would have to, do, they, you know, it would either be prescriptive. Yep. This is what you're allowed to plant, or we would tell them what they're not allowed to plant. Um, and you know, there may well be exceptions. So we're, we're, we're out there for genuine consultation. I mean, I've, I've been very clear in my view. Um, but what I have said is if I am wrong, showing the evidence. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I firmly, I, I love Philosophy of Kaitiakitanga, right? Mm-hmm. That we're stewards of the land and we manage for future generations. So I think that is a fantastic uh, principle um, in which to you know, manage land right across the country. And it's what I'm trying to apply here saying, okay, the good farmland, fantastic, leave it in farmland. Uh, the land that is fantastic or, or, or suitable for production forestry, but um, very tenuous from a, a dry stock perspective that in radiata because we want to build an industry based on manufacturing. But land that is uneconomic um, from a production production perspective and certainly uneconomic from a farming perspective, put it in radiata.
0: Yeah, good idea. Now as we record this programme, it's the final day of March and I wonder Stuart if you wouldn't mind reflecting on March, what was the highlight for you?
1: highlight was the way that our health system and the workers in the health system have actually responded to the Omicron stresses that we're having. I mean, this is sweeping through our country. As mentioned, my my three kids, or three of my four kids, and my wife have had Omicron. A number of my colleagues have, a number of my friends have. But our health workers and our health system have yet again stepped up in a way that um, makes me very proud to be a Kiwi. You know, we have um, a number of people who have just worked under immense pressure, actually, for, for the better part of the last two years, and they continue to do this. Um, but, you know, they, they just get the fact that the reason we are doing this is to keep our community safe and the vast majority of, 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 of Kiwis you know, happy and healthy. And I, you know, I've an, an immense amount of respect for our nurses and health care and I always did. I mean, my, my sister's a nurse, and I know how hard they work. Yep. But goodness me, they've really stepped up on what needs them.
0: Good on you, Stuart. As was my pleasure. You look after yourself. We'll talk at the same time, same place next week.